Test, test. This is Laura and Suhas. Suhas, you want to say hi real quick hi. and test the sound? Maybe a little louder. Hi, sound check. Okay. Welcome, Fit Fam. You've got Laura here with episode number four of the podcast. I've got one of my good friends with me that I'm really excited to have on today. Her name is Sue Haas, and she is an Ivy League educated woman working at an investment firm in Orange County, California. She went to Columbia Business School, and she is one of the smartest, hardest working people I know. So I'm very excited to have her here today. Sue Haas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. It's good to be here, Laura. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So this podcast that I just started recently, it's really about or focuses around bikini competitors, the fitness world, but really it's a podcast I wanted to do for a long time. And it's something that I think uh, relates not just to bikini competitions and fitness, but also just for women in general. Sure. Obviously the, the audience is women, but there's a lot of aspects of our lives that are important to us. And so not just fitness is important, not just looking cute all the time, uh, having some goals, some plan for our financial future, for our career is important. And so I thought, why not have you on? Because you're one of the most successful people I know who's in about the same age range as me in Orange County. Some of the things you tell me that you're doing in your job uh, floor me, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always amazed when you tell me, oh yeah, you know, I met with the owner of some of the casinos in Vegas this week and my jaw just dropped. So Obviously, I wanted to have you on to talk about how to foster and build not only a good work ethic and work habits, but also your career and having a plan for that. And what are some of the skills or attributes about a person that set yourself up for success long term? So sure. Yeah. So let's just start out. So one of the things we have in common that we kind of hit it off when we met a few years ago, is that we're both from Indiana. Yeah. We both grew up in the rural Midwest. So what was that like? What was what was your life growing up like? Do you think um, any anything to do with that had an influence on who you are today? Yeah, that's a really good question. So growing up, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and, um, you know, obviously went to high school there. And Indiana University is a pretty common choice for colleges for most people that go to school in Indiana. So I went to IU um, not really having an idea of what I wanted to do or what I was planning on majoring in. And so um, got to IU and started exploring different areas. And I thought I wanted to go to law school. And so I I started majoring in political science and then... I thought I'd add on a second major, so I added economics, and then I was like, wow, I can kind of make the credits work, and so I added a third major, which was Spanish. A third major? I did. <laughs> oh um, and, you know, it was, it, it's just, it was good planning. It was really, you know, getting creative with, with you know, the academic requirements, talking to advisors. It, it really, I wasn't, I didn't take summer classes. I really, I made it happen in, in the four years, you know, eight uh-huh. semesters. Um, it just required some planning, and then I did a minor in business. Uh-huh. So it sounds like a lot, but so you had I, three majors and a minor. I did, yeah. Um, oh, and my it gosh. really, you know, I, I I didn't take more than sixteen credits a semester, so it was really just good planning. I had some AP credits from high school, um, so so that was kind of you know the journey um, mm-hmm. at college and and sort of what interested me into into doing what I do today. So it's it's a long-winded way where uh, in terms of where I am today and how I got there but um, that was kind of the journey in college sure so let's back up a little bit because number one that's a lot you had three majors yeah and a minor what what motivated you to take that much on and and how how did you even plan that like you said planning was what mm-hmm. set you up to do that but how do you even go about planning out getting yeah. all of that in your your curriculum over four years. Sure. So I think step one was I had accumulated some AP credit. And so basically my first year of college um, was already taken care of in terms of credit from AP classes. So I didn't have to take a lot of basic math, writing, English, science type of classes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really got to college with, let's say, 30 credit hours. And so the way that I thought about it was, okay, like each year can be devoted to one major effectively. And then there's some room to wiggle around um, with, with the business mm-hmm. minor. And so 
Um, I just remember looking at the course catalog and you kind of go through the requirements and sure. you know, talk to a couple yeah. of advisors. But so, so th- this was the logistics of how it happened, mm-hmm. but the motivation for why it happened was I just like to learn. And, you know, I was fascinated by politics. Um, I really enjoyed my Spanish classes. I had taken Spanish since middle school, and it was something that I thought would be a useful skill to have. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I'm horrible at it today. But, you know, <laughs> at one point in my yeah. 20s or early 20s, late teens, I think I was, I might have been a little, I might have been almost fluent in Spanish. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, economics was a nice way to round out the two sort of softer degrees because it was a lot more quantitative um, and it tied in with the business minor. and. I just found the classes to be fascinating. And so I mm-hmm. thought, you know, between the three majors and the business minor, I had a really well-rounded education. Um, and it, it was a cool goal to accomplish. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Uh, I want to backtrack just a little bit. So you said you have always loved to learn. Yeah. And that's what motivated you to pursue three majors and a minor. I would say that's beyond what most people would take that love mm-hmm. of learning too. I mean, I would also say that I love to learn. I had, a, you know, a measly two majors in college. Oh boy. So I know, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that's well, like far and beyond what most people would do. I mean, did you know from an early age that you had more of a, a work ethic or a desire to further yourself because I I see that as you know that's something pretty exceptional to take on that much work as a as an 18 year old going into college it's quite a bit to um, take on and and what I guess what about either you inherently or your background and growing up motivated you to do that Mm because that's that's quite a bit yeah you know it's funny I, I think back on on being a kid and I always wanted to get really good grades and there wasn't an external pressure, right? It wasn't like my parents were like, oh, get an A and you'll get a raise in your allowance. Like there weren't a lot of external motivations for me. It was just something that I wanted to do internally and getting good grades. Even when I was like in kindergarten or first grade, Uh it just inherently and genuinely made me really happy. And so I think this internal motivation to succeed and be recognized and to do well was what motivated me to continue to work really hard, you know, both through both through sort of elementary, middle, high school mm-hmm. and beyond. But I think I think, you know, yeah, learning is cool, but I think you have to be almost internally motivated to want mm-hmm. the success and to want whatever it is that success is defined by, right? Whether it's grades, whether it's something else, whatever the mm-hmm. barometer is, um, you have to really want it. And I think I've wanted it since I was really young. Yeah. Was school always just really easy for you? Um, no, it wasn't. I think, um, you know, as with anybody else, I was challenged. Um, I think high school in particular was really challenging for me. I was taking a lot of hard classes. Um, a lot of my peers were really smart, and so I was surrounded by these really smart kids. And, you know, I wasn't valedictorian, and I tried really hard to get up there, mm-hmm. but I, it's yeah. competitive and it's yeah. challenging. And so, um, yeah, school wasn't always easy. I mean, there are subjects that were obviously easier than others. Um, but I think the good part about it is if you feel like, oh, this class is too easy, you can always take the, you know, if you're in sixth grade, you can take freshman year math. Like, there are ways to challenge yeah. yourself. And I think um, that's something that I tried to do. But yeah, long story short, I, I don't think I, I, I don't think school was easy by any means. Mm-hmm. So that period of time when you were in high school and you felt like there were a lot of other students that were maybe inherently smarter or um, more hardworking than you how did you handle that or how did you respond to that yeah I mean I think you just have to work as hard or or work harder and I think one of the good things is that in high school if you surround yourself with the right people you know their good habits tend to rub off onto yours you can form you know study sessions you can do stuff in groups and so I think what I did was, you know, knowing what my strengths were, I try, you know, math, for example, wasn't my forte. So I would try to study with other, you know, friends that were really good at math. And so mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity to learn from other people. Um, but that's kind of how I, I went about this was, you know, using other people's assets to really help me out too, instead of thinking of them as competition or being intimidated by them. It's a good attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I think 
I think for me, when I was in high school, I had plenty of classmates that were smarter yeah. and harder working. And in some ways, I think I let it get the best of me at times. And don't get me wrong, I still feel like I got into great schools. Yeah. I personally went to Notre Dame for my undergrad, which I can't hate on. I'm yeah. super grateful. But it's a great school. I think at times I definitely let that intimidation factor get to me. Yeah. And, you know, I also think with, with any goal in life, there is also sacrifices that have to be made, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest. It's not like I went to every high school dance. I rarely went to Friday night football games. I didn't have a ton of fun things that I was doing during the week mm-hmm. um, or even on the weekends, you know? And so you have to make a decision for yourself like, okay, are you know, what's worth more to me? What's more valuable? Mm-hmm. Is it more valuable to me both in the short and longer term to do really well and get good grades, but that comes at a cost? Yeah. Or or do you spend your time deciding I'm fine with the B average, I'm fine with whatever, and I'd rather spend time with my friends, I'd rather enjoy being 16, I'd rather pursue all these other things. So, you know, there's finite time in the world and there's finite resources to devote Uh to things. And you kind of have to decide what matters more. It's really hard to both be successful and have fun and not compromise on anything. It's it's hard to do that, you know? Yeah, that's true. No, that's that's a really good point. So it sounds like high school, you were very much willing to make those sacrifices yeah. when necessary. And, and what, did, what did that time in your life look like? Was it just school and, and homework and kind of repeat? Or Yeah, it was school and homework during the week. Um, I was involved in a lot of extracurriculars too. So on the weekends, on Saturdays, I was either spending the entire day at a speech team meet. I was in show choir. So if not at a speech team meet, I was, I was at a show choir competition. Um, I volunteered with the key club and so you know I was on the student newspaper staff so there was really something or the other keeping me really really occupied Mm -hmm. um I didn't I I can't remember just sitting around and watching tv ever in high school I just I don't have those memories um all of my memories revolve around either studying or doing something that was a productive use of my time Mm -hmm. in order to like get into colleges or whatever, get scholarships. So those are really, those are my memories of high school. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me in some ways. You're, you're (laughs) one of the, you're one of the few people that will describe when I ask how their weekend is, that will describe it as productive or not productive. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good to be productive, though. I, it does. You know, there's just there's something very satisfying about finishing what you wanted to do yeah. or accomplishing what you wanted to do. Yeah. And that's oh, absolutely. true in, in all sorts of dimensions. Yeah. No, 100%. I'm a list maker and checking that box. Yeah. You got something done. It is incredibly gratifying. I don't think everybody relates to that, but yeah. I definitely do. <laughs> I do, too. So did you take those same habits and, and patterns into college or how did how did that change once you were at IU? Yeah. Um, more of the same, but I did have a lot more fun at IU. I think, you know, in high school you're taking seven classes a day, you're there's all this pressure to do at you know, f- after school extracurricular activities and I think college was almost a little bit easier for me. Um, mm-hmm. it was nice to be able to manage my own time. I wasn't in class from, you know, seven thirty to two thirty. It was um it was a lot more relaxed and a lot more um a lot more on my terms rather than, you know, a school determining mm-hmm. your every minute mm-hmm. of every day. But I did. I worked really hard in college, too. I spent a lot of time studying. But towards my senior year, you know, I did go to the bars. I had fun. I did cool things. I mm-hmm. traveled. I went on spring break. And so I had, I think, more of a balance in college than mm-hmm. I probably did in high school. But I think those habits that I developed in high school really were good in college because I didn't go wild you know I didn't have this mm-hmm. need to suddenly not be supervised or and just do whatever I wanted I just I didn't even have that impulse or that mm-hmm. urge in college which I know some people might have yeah are there any any tips or strategies you could give or insights into how you balanced everything in college it sounds like you I mean obviously if you yeah. got into Columbia you still got very good grades in college yeah. and that time with friends and that social life how did you how did you manage all of that so i think time management is key and i think you know you allocate x number of hours to this activity y number of hours to another activity but it's also you know when it's time to actually do that activity you can't be like oh i don't feel like it right now <laughs> and you you know if you say i'm going to study yeah. from 8 to 11 and it's 8 o'clock 
you got to start studying or, you know, and so I think it's, it's partly this motive, it's partly the planning and then partly the motivation and the commitment to actually follow through on what you're, what you've told yourself you're going to do, Mm -hmm. what you might've told other people you're going to do. And I think once you make a habit of doing what you said you're going to do, life gets easier and it's easier to control your mind and your body into doing things that you may not have wanted to do but you told yourself you're going to do it and so you have to yeah um and so you know almost every hour of my life was allocated in college Mm -hmm. i would make a list of you know i literally i had a little schedule yeah yeah. just just, you know x hour to x hour i'm doing this Mm -hmm. then this is happening then this is happening you make you know you make time in the day to make meals or whatever like you just you have to do Mm -hmm. that you can't just start a day unstructured because then nothing gets done Mm -hmm. so were you were you planning out your days each day or were you looking at your week yeah I mean days it it really kind of varied you know Mm -hmm. there were probably you know I would probably do it once a week and then sort of make refinements as the days went on right like sometimes things take a little bit longer than you expect or shorter whatever and so there's some flexibility but the broad strokes of what a week looks like um Mm -hmm. There were, you know, I, I always had a general sense of what was going to happen. Yeah, that's good. Did you notice during your time at IU that your habits or your tendencies and organization was it very different from your classmates or from your friends? I think a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's rare to find people that are willing to flex so much to the direction of working hard at the expense of having fun. I think everybody has their own personal preferences, whether it's, you know, 70-30, work fun, 50-50. I think I probably like leaned more like 85-15. And I just, Uh I don't, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people have those preferences. And I think it's just this internal innate preference that you have and so yeah. if you're not so if you're not 85 15 yeah you probably your schedule wouldn't resemble mine and the mm-hmm. way you allocated time wouldn't resemble the way that I did it right yeah um but I don't know that anybody even really wanted to like yeah. it's just you decide yeah how what that balance looks like for you yeah that's an interesting ratio work to fun yeah, and, you know, and, it, it's, and it's not, it, it yeah. wasn't, it, that ratio wasn't static every day or every week, but, mm-hmm. um, and, or even like over time, right? Like there are stages of my life where that ratio has shifted. For sure. Um, and, you know, but when I'm studying for the GMAT so I could get into business school, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's got to be at that yeah. 85, 15. 85 or more, right? Yeah, I can't just be like goofing around. <laughs> if not 90 or 95, yeah. 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 Huh. No, that's that's an interesting concept because you definitely see that in how people go about their lives and yeah. about their days. I like that. I like that concept. That's interesting. Yeah. So definitely, definitely makes sense for some people when they say, "Oh, I can't, can't seem to get this stuff done," or "I just, yeah, I ran out of time to do this." It's, it's a interesting concept. So, what was it like? Once you got to Columbia, I mean, so you, it seems like college was probably a refreshing change of pace yeah. for you. And then what, it sounds like, I mean, in general, you're a very hardworking person. I think you're one of the smartest people I know. Well, thank so you. So even, even if you said in high school or in college, there are people who are smarter than you, I would argue with that. Okay. <laughs> that they're, that they're number one, that there are many of those people out there. Um, so what, what about your time at IU do you think enabled you to get into an Ivy League business school? That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Very few people can say that they've done that in their lives. So Sure. So after IU, I worked for four years in investment banking. And so most business programs require a minimum of two years of work okay. experience. And I think you know, the median tends to be four to six years of work experience. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I worked for four years in investment banking, and it was truly one of the most... Um, brutal times in terms of the work fund allocation Mm -hmm. so I was working on average anywhere from 75 to 80 hours a week Um, oh my gosh I was working weekends I was you know when you work those jobs you're constantly on call Mm -hmm. you're a Blackberry can go off at any minute Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what you're doing you have to answer you have to get to the office if something needs to get done so um, I spent four years in this almost like warped reality of what it means to be committed to your job yeah Um, and so I pulled all-nighters a number of times. You know, I, I think the longest I worked consecutively was probably like 36 to 37 hours. Oh, um, my gosh. 
Yeah, and it sounds kind of insane, but yeah. these things happen. It's it's not uncommon on Wall Street for this to happen. And, you know, maybe things have changed now, but at least when I was there. And so going to, so I applied to business school partly because I wanted to do something slightly different mm-hmm. career-wise. I just didn't think these hours and this lifestyle was sustainable for me. Yeah. And and so actually, you know, going to grad school was kind of a fun vacation from from these hours and from the job. And, you know, it was so nice not to have a BlackBerry on me at all times and not oh to be, gosh. you know, not to be on call. So business school was a great experience. Um, you know, different schools have different vibes. But at Columbia, you know, we have great non-disclosure. And so academics weren't really a key focus. Mm-hmm. People were much more um, likely to focus on networking, finding a job. Mm-hmm. participating in clubs and other extracurriculars and so it was a really great two years that most people don't get to have as as a grown-up mm-hmm. you know so from 26 to 28 um, I was able to live in New York City with really no true responsibilities no job no boss nice. you know That's my nice. time was my own yeah. and of course I had objectives and goals I needed to mm-hmm. get a job and so yeah. you know there were, I was working towards you know towards, towards goals yeah but it was great like if I really didn't want to go to class one morning I didn't have to it wasn't like a job right yeah I, I really didn't <laughs> go to class but it was the yeah. option existed <laughs> I can't see you skipping class <laughs> um but you know the option existed and so yeah. Columbia was a great experience and it helped me get my most recent job and so um, that was a primary driver for for going to business school. Was just sort of yeah, and both an escape from from my investment banking jobs, but also for like a pivot to something else career wise. Yeah, I have so many questions. I don't think I I really knew all of this about you. Yeah, what what were your, okay number one? So when you were working that investment banking job, what were your hours like? And did you know going into it that yes. that was going to be your lifestyle? Yes. So I did know going into it that that was going to be the lifestyle. It's, you know, very well advertised. Uh Nobody really accepts these jobs or really even interviews for these jobs without having a really good understanding Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, And so my hours that, you know, that's a good question. I think the I most people tend to show up between nine and ten mm-hmm. and so when I first started I was in closer to nine mm-hmm. at the end of three years it was closer to ten, to 10. <laughs> um, you know ten oh one maybe ten oh one maybe who knows and then um, you stay until the work is done so there is no end hour um, we had dinner catered to us every night so you could go onto seamless web and uh-huh. order whatever you wanted there are probably 500 restaurants in New York City that deliver to our office oh my gosh and so you know almost everybody might and senior people didn't do this but you know almost everybody in their 20s working at my firm you ate dinner at work every single night mm-hmm. and so on a good day um, I would leave around 9 or 10 p.m. on a bad day I wouldn't leave for 36 hours. Oh um, so, you know, and it was really the jobs that we do are very time sensitive. And so when something needs to be done, it just needs to be done. There's mm-hmm. no telling the client, oh, we'll get it done in two days. Like you just, you're assigned a task and you work, 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 work until it's done. Mm-hmm. And so that's what drives the variability in hours. It's just like you stop when the work is done. You don't stop when it's six o'clock or when yeah. it's quitting yeah. time if so you what so what types of tasks were you working on that were time sensitive yeah. like that so a lot of what we did was you know we advised companies on on either buying another company selling themselves raising debt raising equity and so a lot of the analysis that we did was you know building financial models putting together powerpoint presentations doing a lot of research you know um putting together various analyses. Okay, what happens if company X wants to merge with company Y, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would put together these deliverables. And of course there was a team and a chain of command. So I would send the materials to someone above me. They would review it. They might have some changes. Then it goes to the person above them. Then it goes to the person above them. So by the time you do this iterative exercise, you know, you Mm -hmm. you might be on like version 17 or 20 of the same document. It's just getting changed over and over and over again. Uh And eventually the materials, you know, go out to our clients and our clients were, you know, CEOs and CFOs of Fortune 500 companies. Um, and then they might have some questions. And so, and you're not just working on one project at the same time. So 
you're staffed on deal teams. Each deal team is about four people. Mm-hmm. And you may be staffed on, you know, four or five of these teams simultaneously. Okay. So your work streams, it's not like you're just working for one boss. You really have like five different teams. Gotcha. And you're accountable to all these different people. So mm-hmm. you may be busy on one of the five or two of the five or five of the five. Yeah. And then you have to stay for 36 hours because you're oh. not, because you're finishing everyone's tasks, right? Oh my goodness. Um, so it's kind of a, kind of a fascinating way to, to have that be your first job out of college. But I, I did it willingly. And I think, you yeah, know, going back <laughs> to like, yeah, yeah, hopefully. And you know, it's, it's rewarding. You learn a lot. You have a lot of responsibility at the age of 22. You get to meet a lot of really important people. So there is a lot that you gain from doing the job, but mm-hmm. it's not for everybody. And I think, you know, having had that work ethic in high school and college played really well into I'm this. Sure. I'm um, sure. Yeah, so, I, I, you probably couldn't do it if you didn't have that work ethic, yeah, right? You have to just have, I think I have a high tolerance for pain, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, like mental pain, like it's exhausting to work for 36 hours, but I can do it. And, you know, it, it's, some people can, some people can't. And it's also a preference yeah. thing. Some people don't want to. Yeah. Some people just are like, who cares? I'm yeah, not going to do this. That's a lot of hours. Right? That's and a lot of hours just to be awake. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you're a zombie at the end of it, but yeah. um, it's not for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So what even made you interested in doing that in the first place? That sounds to me, if somebody told me I had to work 36 hours straight, I, yeah. I don't know. I'd have to write down like a sum of money with lots of zeros behind it to get on board with that. And I'm, I'm sure you are well compensated for your time, but I mean, what even got you interested in pursuing a career like that in the first place? Yeah. So, you know, I think what got me really interested is that I knew my skill sets would do, you know, what I cared about would work really well in this job. So for example, I knew that I worked really hard. I knew that I picked up concepts really quickly. I knew that I, once you explain something to me, I don't need a ton of direction. I don't need a ton Mm -hmm. of supervision. And so I was looking for a really challenging, exciting job out of college. Mm -hmm. And this checked all the boxes. Um, And, you know, some people are really interested in finance. And, you know, I thought finance was okay. I, I wasn't passionate about finance. So for me, the job was less about finance and, you know, less about Wall Street and more about... Um, more about you know really using what I thought were my strongest characteristics and applying them to a job mm-hmm. um, that really rewards you in a lot of dimensions, including monetarily, right? Mm-hmm. Like it be I'd be lying to say that that wasn't a factor because mm-hmm. it was. Um, and then you know I'd been told that once you do this job for a couple of years, you have a lot of exit opportunities and you can really mm-hmm. pursue whatever you want because this looks really good on a resume and people understand you know, what you've been through for two years. Um, And so I think all of those factors played a a role in why I chose to do this. That's interesting. Uh, This may be a wrong assumption of mine, so please please correct me if it is. Is investment banking like that or working on Wall Street, is that typically a more male-dominated field? I think of it as something that women tend not to choose. I agree. Um, I think, you know, when I was, and I'll, I'll give you some numbers, I don't know, broad macro numbers, but I'll give you micro numbers. So when I started, um, my group was a class of 24 first year analysts from, you know, various colleges. And of those 24, five were women. Mm-hmm. And that was considered like a pretty good percentage. Yeah. Okay. You know, five out of 24 was yeah. like, wow, this is Got great. A, a lot of representation. Yeah. And, and this was, you know, in 2009, so nearly 10 years ago. And I think a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. And so I still don't know what the ratio is. But for example, in, in my MBA program, which you know, a lot of, a lot of top 10, 15 MBA programs mm-hmm. tend to recruit investment bankers and consultants and private equity mm-hmm. professionals. And so our MBA class was 30, between 35 and 40% female. Okay. So maybe that kind of is a barometer for how Wall Street might look, but okay. I, I think it's less than a third, per, less than a third of people, investment professionals mm-hmm. on Wall Street are probably women. Yeah. Maybe maybe a touch higher. I don't yeah. know. I, I I don't know the exact number, um, but yeah, very male dominated industry, and mm-hmm. it's. I don't know if it's. I don't know why more women don't pursue it, but, it, um, it, you know, I definitely know the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. It's it's definitely a male dominated industry, yeah. and that's one thing you and I kind of have in common is because um, some of the things you mentioned I relate to. I wanted a challenging 
job out of college, but I went probably the opposite direction. I yeah. went into geology. Yeah. And was outside doing field work all day, doing lots of manual labor and also a very male dominated yeah. field. Um, but yeah, that's one thing you and I have in common is I think pretty much since we've both been out of school, we've sort of worked in these industries exactly. that are things that women tend to choose less. And I don't, I, we could speculate about why that yeah. is. I would argue that maybe some of it is just the challenge mm-hmm. um, and the sheer workload that's required of some of these positions that are very time intensive. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you've got a family at a young age or you're planning for that right out of college, I think that can influence the decision of how much you want to work. Absolutely. For sure. But um yeah, I think that's also one thing that it maybe has connected us as friends is yeah. just the inherent desire to work hard, appreciation for that, mm-hmm. and um, kind of interesting how we went different ways with it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. So how did you feel leaving New York? So you, you went to Columbia. Yeah. You got an internship at an investment firm in Orange County, right? And you mm-hmm. did a couple summers there. I spent a summer. A summer. Right. Okay. And then got a full-time offer. Yeah. What yeah. was what was that like? So you just had these fun two years in New York where you yeah. kind of had your mini vacation. Yep. And then you're invited to move across the country to what is in some ways a very opposite place mm-hmm. compared to New York. Yeah. So I was very excited for the opportunity because I had at that point been in New York for six years and it was, it was wearing on me, you know, as fun and exciting and fast-paced New York, you know, as, as all New York is all of the, all of those things, but it's taxing and, you know, it gets you down sometimes. And so I was ready for a change. And I, when I had spent a summer living in Orange County, I thought it was beautiful and I loved the weather and I loved how laid back everybody was. And Mm -hmm. so I was just very, very excited to move (laughs) out here. And, you know, my whole life, I've really been about the job. I've been about the task. I've been, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. school, whatever it is that I'm doing. And so it was such a good job opportunity that I didn't really consider any other factors. Um, I, I knew the job was important enough to me that I would move here even mm-hmm. if I didn't want to, which wasn't the case. Like, I was happy to do it. But, mm-hmm. you know, this job could have been in Omaha, Nebraska, and I would have gone. Really? Um, yeah. You were, just that, so. you were just that done with New York at that point? Not so much done with New York, but just more excited about this particular okay. company and this particular and job. Okay. Yes, so had this opportunity presented uh-huh. itself in a less desirable geography, sure, I would have still, still gone. I would have gone. So, you know, but yeah, that's me. I've, I've been about the job and the career my whole mm-hmm. life. So that is like the primary factor that dictates how I make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, relate to that too. So what, what about the opportunity or the job? got you so excited that you would have been willing to move to yeah. Nebraska or wherever. Yeah. Look, it's a really phenomenal company. It has an outstanding reputation. I really liked okay. the people that I worked with when I was here for the summer internship. Gotcha. And I, I liked the, the day-to-day. Um, a lot of what I do now is similar in terms of the analysis and in terms of the thought process and the content and you know the materials that I put together. Um, but the hours are much different. I, mm-hmm. I work, you know, East Coast market hours. And so it's not really a walk in the park. I get in around 5 a.m. and I leave at 5 p.m. So it's a pretty long day. Um, but it's, it's not, day. it's a very long day, but it's not <laughs> 80 hours a week. And, you know, yeah. it's not, I'm not yeah, it's only being 60. summoned to the office on a <laughs> right. Saturday it's only or a 60. Sunday. It's only 60. Yeah. And so I like, I like the predictability. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my lifestyle is a lot better than what it used to be in New mm-hmm. York. And so... All of those factors played a role, mm-hmm. um, and of course, like Orange County is not a bad place to live. No, I I love it here. It's, yeah, it's beautiful, and yeah, it's seventy and sunny more than it's exactly anything else. Yep, can't complain. Absolutely. So, what was that transition like? So you you decided, okay, I'm going to take this awesome opportunity that I'm excited about. I'm going to move across the country, and at that point, you had some previous co-workers you knew did you yeah. have anybody else you knew out here no honestly I didn't know anybody I think I knew maybe one or two people from my job and it was you know on the one hand it can seem a little intimidating but I didn't didn't even cross my mind I just figured I would mm-hmm. build a network here like mm-hmm. I've done everywhere yeah. else you know in my yeah. life I've moved around yeah. as we all do you know sure high school college 
jobs, whatever. And so it, it didn't scare me. Mm-hmm. I just figured I would figure it out once I yeah. got there. So, so what was that time in your life like, or what did it look like when you were first, when you first moved, first getting settled in Orange County? I think there are people out there too that never move, that never yeah. relocate. I mean, a lot of us, I think we take for granted that we're so mobile these days. There's plenty of people that never leave their hometowns, mm-hmm. uh, that never go anywhere else. So what was that, what was that time in your life like? I guess it was, I mean, I don't know. It was, it wasn't that hard to, to make the decision and, you know, moving here, I think I settled in pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, got an apartment and, you know, work started a couple of days later. And so it really wasn't, I didn't have that much time to really think about or f- emphasize the transition or the move. Mm-hmm. I was just, it was a new chapter in my life and I was ready to dive in. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, I mean, how have you liked being in Orange County? I know you mentioned you kind of felt like New York was wearing on you. I would argue that there's a very different culture mm-hmm. and very different set of values here. How how have the last, you know, several years that you've been here, how have you transitioned to living here? How are you feeling now about Orange County? Yeah. Um, I know you miss New York sometimes. I do miss New York sometimes <laughs> a lot a lot of the time, but I think what I've I think the the ways in which I've changed the most living out in Orange County is that I think I'm a lot more fitness oriented than I used to be okay. so you know I would I mean I would go to the gym in New York but I, I do a lot more classes here mm-hmm. I didn't really used to spin when I was in New York and now I, I do that you know at least twice a week and it's mm-hmm. a really fun activity that I can't believe I didn't do until mm-hmm. uh, that I didn't do in you know seriously until I until I moved here yeah um I go to Barry's boot camp like there's just a lot of fitness type things that I do here and I I know for a fact had I still been living in New York like New York mm-hmm. has berries, New York has spin. I just wouldn't have taken the plunge. I would have yeah. just stuck to my old routine. And so I think being here, that's been kind of an eye-opening experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I travel a lot more now that I live here um, relative to New York. And, you know, of course, New York not traveling much was partly just a function of the job where yeah. I couldn't go anywhere on yeah. the weekends, right? Yeah. And now I feel like I spend, you know, maybe one weekend a month out of town doing whatever mm-hmm. um, and it's it's kind of nice so that's fun and I just I have more of a more of a structure I also do more errands here than I ever did in New York I, I don't think I ever used my kitchen all mm-hmm. the you know at least the four years that I was working yeah in business school yeah we didn't have a microwave like you know that like whole sex in the city Sarah Jessica Parker storing uh-huh. shoes storing in her sweaters in your oven yeah like <laughs> we weren't quite that bad but literally like I, yeah. I never used my kitchen yeah and you know and that's different now I cook more so uh-huh. I feel like in some ways I'm just a lot more domesticated now mm-hmm. than I was living in New York yeah and I can see that I mean there's definitely more of a suburban feel here but yeah. I also you know in the fact that we're not in a huge city um you don't need to use your kitchen as storage space and there's not yeah. takeout available right outside your door exactly. necessarily exactly. for most places in Orange County. Um, but I also think that the fitness lifestyle is very strong here. Yeah. So I think, you know, even for me, somebody who's always loved fitness, I feel like I've taken fitness to a whole nother level for me personally, just because Southern California is sort of like the epicenter for it and, and it's beautiful year round. So why not get outside yeah. and exercise and all that good stuff. Completely agree. Yeah. Well, very cool. How, now that you're in this, in this role where you're working a little less, even at 60 hours a week, which is a ton for most people, that's a ton. I work at my full-time job right around 40 hours a week, unless it's particularly busy, which, which I'm very grateful for. Don't get me wrong. Um, how do you find the balance for your, your work life and your personal life? Cause that's still for most people, 60 hours is, you know, 50% more than what they would be spending in their average week. I know it's really tough. I mean, my weekdays, um, aren't particularly exciting for that reason. It's kind of a very regimented routine and every minute is precious Monday through Friday or Mm -hmm. Monday through Thursday. Right. So, um, it's just a schedule that I follow. I work from five to five. I'll typically go to the gym or go to a class. Mm -hmm. Um, I pre-make my dinners on Sunday. And so when I come home, Mm-hmm. eat a quick dinner and then you know 8 15 or so it's bedtime so yeah. there really isn't time during the week yeah. for for truly anything mm-hmm. but I make up for it on the weekends so it's kind of nice to have Friday through Sunday 
yeah you know you know friday i I leave a little bit earlier on fridays maybe around three o'clock and so it's kind of nice to have those extra few hours on friday and then relax on saturday and sunday but um it just it requires really being very planned and having a very precise routine and schedule and Mm -hmm. i can't really mess up you know i can't just Accidentally. Go go out drinking one night. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> doesn't work happen. But I, you know, I can't even. I can't accidentally watch more TV on Tuesday than is yeah, in the schedule, right? I can't just. Yeah, you can't stay up too late. I can, yeah, I, I can't go from eight fifteen to eight forty-five, or mm-hmm. I'll be cranky the next day. Yeah. And so, very little room for error in mm-hmm. in so many dimensions. Yeah. So how do you stay disciplined with something like that? Because that's that's something I struggle with. I'm trying to get more sleep, and I have a hard time cutting myself off from electronic devices, TV yeah. shows at a certain time. I don't know. I mean, I, for me, like sleep is supreme. I, I have to sleep. I need all the hours. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you just have to do it. I mean, I'm really only doing a disservice to myself if I don't go to bed at a good hour. Yeah. Like, you know, 4 a.m. me the next morning is not going to be happy with yeah. 9 p.m. me the prior night. Yeah. So I've just, you know, I've made I've made these mistakes here and then, and I just, I know better than to do that. Like, yeah. there's nothing worse than not getting enough sleep for sure. me. So I just, I do it. I yeah. sleep. How many how many hours of sleep are you getting on average? Um, probably around seven, between seven okay. and seven and a half. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I need to do better with my sleep. That's... That's what yeah. I'm focusing on the next few weeks. I've tried to focus on it last week. I think I bumped my average up from about six to six and a half. Okay. And I'm trying to hit at least seven. Yeah. Every day from now on. That's, That's awesome. Goal. I, That's my goal. I, don't I need know. it. I listen, need it. I listen to a podcast. Um, for people who know me well, I'm obsessed with the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. I listened to that religiously, and he had a sleep expert on there. Uh-huh. And he was talking, the sleep expert was talking about how your brain over the course of the day is pretty much getting low levels of brain damage. And at night when you're sleeping, it's that time for your brain to repair itself Interesting. and to recover. And if you're getting six hours of sleep or less, that repair process is not happening as optimally as you want. Wow. <laughs> so just pretty much the whole podcast was three hours of me feeling like I'm not sleeping enough and oh my gosh. I'm damaging my brain. Yeah. Seven is good though, supposedly. Okay. So good. I need to, I need to do better to get back onto seven because I used to. Yeah. Yeah, well, good for you. That's I mean, that's incredible that you're getting to work at five and you're still getting enough sleep in. It's a role model for a lot of oh, us. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, what are some of your future goals? You've got this job that's been, I think, really, from what I've heard from you, really amazing for you. Your long-term professional trajectory. Mm-hmm. You've gotten some new opportunities there. I mean, what are some goals that you have? Whether it's work, whether it's your personal life, like what's What's next for you? Because from a lot of people, you look at, at you as an outsider. Yeah. You have this Ivy League degree. You're well-educated. You're smart. You know, you're financially stable and you're successful. What more could you want? So for you, like, what's next? Yeah. You're, you know, you're just turned just turned 30, too. Keep in mind. So for people listening who don't know her, um, you know, you're still very young. So, yeah. so what's next? So, you know, I, I think um, I'm still relatively junior at work. And so I think, you know my career trajectory has a has a long way to go um i'd like to get promoted and i think there's a lot more that i have to learn and so that will come with due time but i'm not really i like what i do so i'm not really interested in switching gears Mm -hmm. or you know switching jobs or anything Mm -hmm. i i think i genuinely like the industry and i like what i do so if i can just keep getting better yeah and more advanced and having more responsibility i think that's that's great um and then you know personally i i think becoming an adult is sort of next Uh right you know getting married and having kids i i hope that's sort of in the horizon for the over the next 10 years or so um but i don't know maybe buying a house or something just like it's like the grown-up adult stuff that the people do i know And I don't have a timeline for those Mm -hmm. goals other than, you know, like the next decade. I think, you know, I think the next decade includes some of those milestones. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned you want to keep getting better at work. How would you go about doing that? Or what would that look like? Yeah. Look, a lot of it is just experience. Mm -hmm. You're put into situations that you haven't been in before, right? 
and you learn from those experiences. So there's not really anything that I can do actively except mm-hmm. when an unfamiliar situation arises, mm-hmm. ask people for help, try yeah. to figure something out. So a lot of this is just sort of osmosis from just having different experiences sure. and different types of situations. Okay. Um, and so there's not really, there's nothing I can do to like make that happen. Yeah. It's just a matter of, oh, this is yeah. a new deal or this is a new company or I've never seen this before mm-hmm. or this is a different covenant or, you know, there's so many things that could happen that are just, that are different. Yeah. Um, one of the ways in which I've, you know, tried to, to, you know, tried to get better at work is, you know, I often raise my hand when there's additional responsibility that needs mm-hmm. to be taken. So when people quit or if someone transfers from one group to another, um, a couple of times I've, you know, raised my hand and taken on their responsibilities. And so I think when you do things like that, um, yeah, a, you're getting more responsibility and you get more experience and you are exposed to things that you wouldn't have been exposed to had you not done that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it also looks good from from a manager's perspective, right? People appreciate the initiative and they appreciate mm-hmm. that you're willing to take on more and do more. And so it's kind of a win-win. It sucks yeah. that you have to do more work. But once again, if you think about it yeah. from a longer-term horizon, it's, it's worthwhile. Yeah. I once had a former boss tell me this was a, right before I got relocated to Southern mm-hmm. California. Uh, he told me make yourself indispensable so do whatever you can make connections meet the co-workers you know take take an effort make an effort to meet the co-workers that are working remotely engage with them but make yourself indispensable and if you do that the company can't ever really get rid of you or you know that you've got job security you know that you've got Uh, future opportunities because they're relying on you so much exactly I think that's good advice and you know my philosophy has always been it doesn't really matter what I want it matters where I'm needed and more you and more useful right like Mm -hmm. I could want to do some I could want to do something at work but maybe work doesn't necessarily need that done and so Mm -hmm. you have to be nimble and you have to be flexible and you have to think less and less about oh this is interesting to me or I'd work I'd rather work on this project than that project Mm-hmm. and go where you're needed it ends up working out for you so much better yeah. than you pushing your agenda yeah and trying to like make sure that your preferences are taken yeah. care of that's a great attitude i think a lot of people aren't humble enough to have that mindset it sounds what yeah. you're telling me it sounds very strategic and yeah. i i identify with that a lot as well but i think a lot of people are not humble enough to think like that yeah. in their work life. They're just willing to sacrifice like what they want, right? Like Yeah, that's it's that, hard to do. It's hard to do. It's hard right? to do. It's, sacrifice it's is not about, comfortable. No, it's all about I just I think life is all about, you know, what you want to do and what you have to do. And the percentage of time that you choose what you have to do versus what you want to do, I think, you know, that's kind of what makes people really successful or not so successful. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So So are there any things or any any tips you could give where you're proactively seeking out opportunities to better yourself or further your knowledge or network in ways that will help your career, help you at your, mm-hmm. your current job? Yeah, I think a lot of it just has to do with being uncomfortable and doing what you don't want to do. Um, whether that's, you know, I'm personally not the best at networking. I don't love talking to people. I'm much more of a behind the scenes, sit at my computer, Uh work in Excel and, you know, write and think and read. Yeah. I, you know, that's just, that's my personality. It's who I am. It's Mm -hmm. what I'm happiest doing. Uh But I think, you know, to be a more well-rounded person and to, especially as you get more senior, you have to have better interpersonal skills and you Mm -hmm. have to learn how to talk to people and how to network. And so Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable for me now, but I think, you know, you just have to consistently do things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Um, And eventually that's how you get better. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's not fun in any way. Right. And so that's kind of what I do proactively is Mm -hmm. I try to do what I really don't want to do mm-hmm. because that's a telltale sign of something that really should be done. Yeah. Yeah. When something's uncomfortable, usually that means it's an area of opportunity or yeah. opportunity for growth. 
So what are some of the things that you do to network? Or are there groups you're a part of or events you attend or, or what do you do to try um, to Yeah, it, it depends, network? you know, it depends on how we're thinking about networks. So for professional networking, I attend conferences. I, so I t- typically tend to meet other investors at these conferences. Okay. Um, I have a network from business school. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I know obviously most of my classmates uh-huh. and then, you know, the classmates have friends. And so yeah. there's lots of ways to go about the professional networking. On a more personal side, um, I'm a member of the Junior League of Orange County, which has been a great way to meet like-minded women. Um, it's a mm-hmm. volunteer group, and so we have training events and membership events and social events, and we, of course, you know, do community service throughout mm-hmm. Orange County. So that's been a good way to just meet friends and, yeah. and meet people that really has nothing to do with my professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just more informally, like going to various workout studios, you end up seeing mm-hmm. the same faces, yeah. you know, every week or whatever. Yeah. So that's been a good way to, to informally network without really, yeah. there's no objective at the end of that. Yeah. That's one thing I've really pushed myself in the last year to do too, is just being more friendly yeah. and more outgoing, even if my tendency is to be more closed off mm-hmm. or reserved. Yeah. And so far, it's had really positive results. I was kind of a little bit apprehensive at first about trying to reach out and just talk to strangers more. Yeah. But I've gotten clients. I've gotten, um, I would say, opportunities. I've, you know, one one with you know personal personal business of mine that I've had a, a lot more growth just because I was willing to reach out to people talk to talk to people in the elevator it's like i'm going home from work i'm in my building and i just want to i'm in the zone i don't want to talk to anyone getting myself a little bit out of my comfort zone and saying hi to people that i don't know has has paid off in little ways too so it's kind of amazing how just even some of these little habits that we have sure yeah that's awesome changes yeah Um, what are some things that that people may not know about you when they see you at work or they interact with you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think a lot of people see me as really serious and I think depends on the demand, you know, depends on like where and when you meet me. So if Mm -hmm. you, if you're somebody that I really only interact with at work, um, you probably would think that I'm really serious, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think I am goofy when I'm not at the office and you know, there is a lighter side to my personality that's definitely not obvious at work um but I think what I've been able to do is I can sort of when I'm at work I'm a serious person but Uh when I'm not at work I'm not a serious person so I think it's good to be able to like compartmentalize who you are based on the situation that you're in and so you know being rowdy and obnoxious and fun is not really the culture of my office yeah so you (laughs) So you can't really be the same person uh-huh. in every environment. You have to sort of adjust and tweak yourself a little bit. And so I think so. Yeah. Or so I think that's probably one of the bigger things is that I, I do have a, an, a work personality and then uh-huh. a outside of work personality. Yeah. That's great. Do any of your coworkers know about your outside of work personality? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I hang out with some people outside some of, of work. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm friends with some coworkers, yeah. but you know, like not my bosses or none of the senior people, right? Like you just have to, you got to be a a serious person. Yeah. So what are some of the ways when you're at work that you may act differently or you may really focus on acting professionally at work? Like what are some of the habits or things that you do to maintain that professional appearance? Sure. So I think, you know, kind of the obvious ones are just the language that you use, right? I mean, you can be, I, I tend to be a lot more casual and laid back when I'm hanging out with friends, but mm-hmm. you have to use different language when you're with coworkers and, you yeah. know, the, to- the, the topics that you address, like I'm, you know, yep. <laughs> I'm not, if I'm talking to my coworkers and I'm describing my weekend, the level of detail or maybe even what's included is going to be a lot different from if I'm telling you about my weekend, yeah, right? Yeah. Like they, yeah, I my want co- all the details. My coworkers <laughs> don't need to know about the tequila shots at Wild Goose at uh-huh. 1 a.m. That that detail can be sure. omitted, you know? Yeah. They can hear about how I went to brunch and went on a walk and had a healthy yeah. weekend. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just little things on the margin. I'm, I'm not like Jekyll and Hyde. It's just, I think, you know, your work, for some people, work 
personalities and at-home personalities have to be a little different just given the intensity of certain work environments. Yeah, or they sh- they should be they for should some be. people. I think some people don't have a different work or home personality and maybe your job doesn't require that, but yeah. I'm definitely one where I am the same way. I will not tell my coworkers about any crazy nights or anything a little bit risque that is going on in my personal life they don't need to know that I want them to perceive me as a professional and I don't I don't know if you feel this way but I definitely feel in a more male dominated fields because that's kind of what I've worked in since college is I think I get treated differently sometimes not necessarily in a bad way but I would never want my coworkers to perceive me differently or to make negative assumptions about Mm -hmm. me because of my gender and because of the information I'm sharing with them about me and my sure. life. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Sometimes I think we, we almost have to take our behavior or take the way we view ourselves, our work life to a higher level Right. in some ways Yeah. to be treated as respectable professionals. Totally understand. Which is in some ways not ideal, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe it's maybe it's just a desire, almost a competitive nature I have where I just want to be I want to be better than everyone else. I want to be the best version of myself at all times yeah. when as as much as possible, but um, So, I guess the last thing I would love to talk about because you are such a great role model for anyone or just especially for women, uh, being successful, being smart, being educated. What do you do to maintain and plan out your financial part of your finances or your financial part of your life? Because I think that's that's another important aspect of our lives that um, I don't know that all women or all mm-hmm. Americans for that matter place enough importance on or spend enough time thinking about. So yeah. what are some being in finance? What are some tips or some strategies that maybe you use in your own personal life or that you would advise people on if they came and asked you for advice? That's a really good question. So what I've done recently is, you know, there are so many great resources online that help you, you know, that help you determine what the right budget should be, how you should be allocating your paychecks, right? Whether it's the percent that you spend, the percent that you save, Mm -hmm. the percent that you allocate to paying down student loans or any kind of debt payments that you might have to make. And so I would just say, you know, if you're interested in being more financially sound and financially savvy, there are just the internet has so many free resources. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do personally is, um, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily have percentages of like I'm saving X percent or sure. I'm spending Y percent. Um, but one of the really cool tools that I've been using for probably a little over a year now is a um, it's a robo um, advisory a service offered okay. by Charles Schwab where okay. there are um, there's just an algorithm that helps allocate your assets that you want to invest in so okay. um, instead of like actually having to go find a financial advisor um, you can contribute whatever you know you can start off with whatever money you want in this intelligent portfolio mm-hmm. and it puts your money towards bonds stocks commodities, cash, and it's it's free, all you're paying for is the underlying ETFs. And so if you're a, if you're a novice and you're just interested in saving and investing for the future, there are tons of resources like the one that I just mentioned um, that are that are really good for that. And you know, you don't you don't have to have a certain amount of money, you don't have to mm-hmm. hire a financial advisor. It's just kind mm-hmm. of cool free advice that's tech enabled. And I think over the last five years, technology has just played such a huge role mm-hmm. in the world of personal finance. Yeah. And so once again, a lot of there are blogs, there are so many resources yeah. on the internet in terms of learning about stuff. Uh-huh. But then there are also resources such as this one where you can actually like use things and um and invest without no without having to know a ton about the markets. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, I'm gonna have to get that link from you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's of, awesome. Yeah. Are there any other websites or anything you'd recommend for people who are maybe at a more uh, preliminary stage where they're just doing some research or just trying to learn what's out there where they could go seek out information? Sure. Um, so you know, honestly, there just it's easy enough just to Google like personal finance. Okay. Um, Sa- uh, Sally Krawcheck, who used to run Bank of America's uh, wealth management division, 
I started a company called L Invest, I believe, or okay. L Vest, something like that. But it's basically a a website and a blog targeted at women and targeted at teaching women about investing and about how to budget. And so mm-hmm. I would say, you know, for women in particular, that might be a good resource um, yeah. to check out. It's, it's a cool website. They have tons of advice. They have a blog, um, but they also have a product which is similar to the to the robo advisory platform that I mentioned. Okay. Um, so there are lots cool. of these out there. Yeah. Yeah. Betterment, Betterment, Wealthfront are another couple of examples um, okay. of websites to check out. Yeah. Know. I'll have to find these links and, and share yeah. them when I post this. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we're at an hour, Suhas. Okay. Thank you so much for yeah. taking the time and doing this. We'll have to do another one at some point. Maybe we pick another topic, but this has been great learning more about you and your history and I think you're a great role model, not only for women, but for anyone out there who's trying to better their lives and, and become more successful. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been, it's been really fun talking. All right. Thanks, FitFam, for listening. And we will share all of those amazing resources in the blog post so you can go and look up for yourself some amazing financial resources.